Hey everyone, um, thanks for coming to our panel. Uh, we're the Writing the Genre panel, and uh, I'm Tony Perona, and I sort of have been self-selected guest <laughs> to do the moderating here, because we didn't have one assigned. So uh, we're delighted to have you all here with us. Uh, we're gonna start by just introducing ourselves and, uh, and talking a little bit about the genres we write in so that you get familiar with us. Um, we're gonna ask some questions of you guys, so be prepared. And ask as many questions and, and, as you yes, like. That's what, that's what I mean by asking yeah. questions of you. It's like, do you have any questions? So, all right, but uh, we're gonna start, and I'm, I'm just gonna turn it over to Sandy. She's right next to me, and then we'll go on down. Hi, I'm Sandy James. I write um, romance, but I also dabble in urban fantasy and sci-fi that have romantic elements. Um, I've been writing since 06, plus or minus, and my 20th book just came out on Tuesday. Rob? Cool. Uh, I'm Rob Kent. I have not yet written anywhere near 20 uh, books, which is amazing. Uh, I run the website middlegradeninja.com, which is a popular site where we interview authors and literary agents. Uh, I've written nine books uh, at this point. Uh, my name is Maurice Bronze. I write uh, fantasy, science fiction, horror. Um, I've written 10 books and had nearly 100 short stories published. And I'm a slacker. Um, <laughs> my name is Tony Corona. Uh, I write mysteries, and the latest mysteries that I'm writing with my daughter Liz, we write under the name Elizabeth Corona. We write about um, a group of older women that are trying to accomplish all the strange and wonderful things on their bucket list, but they keep stumbling over dead bodies. Oh, and, uh, yeah. It's, uh, it's That's my concept. Like, I like yeah, that. It's, That's it's, my concept. Murder, she wrote. Combined with Golden Girls. Anyway, uh, <laughs> look at this. Pitch line. You know, uh, listen. That's an excellent pitch line. We can talk about yep. Hollywood later um, if you want, because I, I didn't go out and pitch. Um, but anyway, uh, so and, and uh, this, the third in that series just came out in July, and uh, but I, I've written seven novels, so I'm like I said, the slacker here. Um, all right, so um, let's let's talk about how we got started. Okay, and we'll start down with Maurice. How did you get started writing? Because we want to give all these people. Oh, how I got started writing? How did you get started writing? Uh, uh, well, I got started writing. Uh, so my family. I was originally born in London, and so when we made the transition from uh, London, England, to the thriving metropolis of Franklin, Indiana, <laughs> um, there was a bit of a, an issue with the school system, and so they did not know where to place me in school, and so and they didn't want to skip me too many grades. So I was in this, so for my second grade year, all the teacher did was like, okay, here's a stack of paper. We're gonna leave you in the back corner and you just create stuff this year. And I'm like, okay. And that's my introduction to writing. Um, and then uh, later on, uh, my senior year of high school, uh, my teacher noticed that he took an interest in my, in my writing. He said, you know, you have some real talent here. And he, that's when I got the, the initial push to, you know, maybe I ought to take some serious consideration in, in pursuing writing. And, um, and so I did that through college. I'm skipping part of that story, but, uh, but then, I, then through college, I eventually majored in, in writing. Well, I had an undeterred major in writing. There you go. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Great. And then, and then how did you get started writing novels? Um, or short stories? Okay, well, I started writing, I started writing my first novel in 1993, and it took me seven years to finish. Um, and I distinctly remember when I finished because I was right there, my wife was, don't do this, by the way, never be me. Um, my wife was in labor. 
the story ends well. <laughs> uh, but I really was so close to getting the first draft done. And I was like, honey, you just, I don't know, squeeze your, yeah, how far are they? Can you squeeze your legs together yeah. just for like one more chapter? Um, and he's laughing because he was, he saw the repercussions of that debate. Um, but yeah, I, when my son was born, my son was born right after I finished the first draft of my first novel. Thank you. And, and I just want and, and so I just want to make note that it took him seven years to write his first novel, so that should be an encouragement to everyone. Right. And it was never published. After all that, never saw the <laughs> <laughs> right. Rob, how about you? Starting right. I'm just thinking about what my wife would have done to me. Oh, right. <laughs> I, I could probably come up with this. <laughs> um, when, uh, when did we start writing? Yeah, when did you start writing? And, and uh, a little bit about your adventure. As soon as I knew how to string a couple of words together to a sentence, I was, let's do a story. Um, before I could write, I had a tape recorder I would carry around with me in kindergarten, and I would record my stories onto that so I could play in bed. I'm showing my age of tape recorder. Isn't that quaint? Oh, don't do that. <laughs> don't go there. Uh, and then, uh, just a lifelong passion. Um, so, uh, yeah, I ask, uh, I interview writers, as, as I mentioned on my website, and I ask every writer I talk to, do you believe uh, writers are born or taught or both? Uh, I think for most people it really is kind of a healthy dose of both. I think you're, you're either a writer and this is something that you're, you truly want to do, or you're not, which, which case, God bless you. Go well, and I think that makes you happy. writers are readers, too. Absolutely. I think that's a lot of it is that we start out as readers yes. more than we do writers. And since you're already started talking, okay. you go ahead and talk to um, I actually am, if you talk about what pays the bills, I'm a psychology teacher at Fremont High School. And I always give a lecture every year when we're doing brain development. And it, it kind of goes like this. Your brain can always learn. And you're always making these connections in your brain by doing something new all the time. The worst thing you can do for your brain is to let it get stale and do the same thing every day. Like, if you're like me, you park in the same parking spot every day. Some days in your spot, everyone's a day. So I give this lecture every year, and the time that my son was a senior in high school, it dawned on me that I was doing what I was telling the kids not to do. You know, don't. So on my bucket list was always write a book. And around the same time, I read, and I, I'm a voracious reader. I mean, I just all the time, I was reading a romance, which is the genre I like to read. And honest to God, I think you could have given a chimpanzee a typewriter, and they could have come up with a better plot than the book I was reading at the time. It's one of those you want to throw at the wall when you're done. So I thought, well, I'll just write one. Well, what irritated me more than anything, maybe it's my age showing, they kept talking about it, well, the, the stereotype for romance is it's always, you know, an 18-year-old heroine with skinny little waist and long blonde hair, and I hated that in the genre. And this book had a 39-year-old heroine but the third time the author said, but she still looked like she was 17, is when I gave up. So I thought, I'm going to write a romance that has a 39-year-old heroine. I was about that age at that time, plus one. And I'm going to make her have all the problems that 39-year-old women have. So I wrote my first book, and I just sat down, and I got it done very quickly. Um, and then I found out I had no talent for it, and I had to go back and rewrite it, and rewrite it, and rewrite it. <laughs> Because writing is like any other skill, you've got to practice it if you're going to get better at it. But um, it was like crack. I mean, once I started writing, I realized this was something I wanted to do. And I was finding time away from things I had to do to write. And so 
20 books in 11 years. <laughs> so, you know, what, what does it say? The first step is admitting you have a problem. Interesting. <laughs> Youngest uh, protagonist you've written about? Youngest. Um, 20s. Mid-20s. Yeah, mid-20s. And that was because the publisher asked me to. I like my, I like my heroes and heroines a little older. So. Did you add kicking and screaming? Yeah. <laughs> but it works. It works. Okay. Um, well, and I, you mentioned that you're a teacher, mm -hmm. and I, I want us to talk about um, about professions. If we write full time, or if we or if we have another um, or if we're a working author, uh, I, I'm deputy town manager for the town of Plainfield, and uh, writing is something that that uh, I while while I like, it's hard to fit in, and so um, for me that's. That's a, a difficult thing. I'm, I'm not addicted like you are um, because I, I write in the in the wee hours before work and I write on my lunch hour and it kind of absorbs everything. So um, I got started writing. Um, well, actually, the, you know, you talked about how you read romances mm -hmm. and, and you just suddenly wanted to do it. And uh, I had been reading a lot of mysteries. I, I was a big Agatha Christie fan, and after a while, I thought. Because I love Miss Marvel, and how hard can this be? I mean, you know, she's she's an amateur sleuth, so she goes around and she talks to all these people, and they're all lying to her, and then she just keeps working on them until she figures out which one is lying, and then of course, you know, there's the fight for the life at the end, right? And I'm like, how hard can this be? Well, I found out, of course, just like yours, you know, you you wrote you write write your first drafts and everything, and then you discover that oh, I've got another five years of drafts before this thing is. <laughs> Even well, I think by reading, the, the more you read, the more you get sort of the feel for what needs to be in the book. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you read romance, you write romance. You read mystery, you write mystery. And I imagine you guys read your genres. I mean... Well, kind of. I read crime fiction. For, uh, that's what I read to relax. That's okay. me too. Yeah. True crime. So, yes. Yeah. And well, rules. So I, I read that to relax. And then I, but I notice that... It, you know, I, I do read in my genre, depending on what genre I'm writing that day. Like right now, I'm in an urban fantasy phase again. Um, but I do also know that because of my love for crime fiction, that tends to influence, you know, how I approach even, the, even my fantasy stories. Oh, yeah. So are you a working writer or are you a, a full-time writer? I am. I mean, we all work. I, I am, as of now, a full-time writer. Okay. Um, well. <laughs> so what happened? So what happened was, uh, so I sold uh, this uh, this trilogy. This is my first trilogy. My, so my first novel sold in 2009, and it was for an urban fantasy trilogy. Um, and we can talk about that, how that happened accidentally, also. Um, but what happened is they said so. It was sold in May of 2009. They wanted rewrites. They wanted me to add 30,000 words. Oh ouch! That's the, still better than subtracting. Right, right. Well, I pitched it as a young adult. Uh, I forget what I called it. Young adult something or other. And they're like, no, it's um, it's an adult urban fantasy novel, so after 30,000 words. So I'm like, oh, okay. And then they were like, uh, because it sold as a trilogy, so I had to add 30,000 words by that August 1st, and then they needed all of book two done by December 1st. There you go. Oh, right. wow. Yeah. We so, have deadlines on our list. Oh, yeah, deadlines. Right. Okay. We're talking about deadlines, um, yeah. And I also signed out to do to be an editor for an anthology called Dark Faith, which is also due to be delivered on December 1st. So from June through December, my life was nothing but words, which was great. I hit all those deadlines. Yeah. I was a scientist at the time. Uh oh. 
-hmm. and my life was nothing but words. Yeah. At which point in December, my boss called me in and goes, you do know your life has been nothing but words for the last three or so months. And I'm like, yeah, you're kind of done here. So I'm like, okay. Um, so, so in 2010, I basically started exploring, you know, being a freelance writer and all that stuff. And you know, and the adjustments that uh, the family had to make as I wanted to just pursue this full time. And we were going back and forth between I was freelancing and then I would take a, a what I call a straight job for a while. Um, but then once uh, once Buffalo Soldier sold and uh, a couple of things fell in line for me, I was like, you know, I'm going to make that leap back again into full time writing again. And, um, and I've been full time writing for the last couple of years, and it's really starting to pay off, so we're, we're gonna go at it. And so I'm a full-time writer, but I do teach, um, and I, but the, the stuff I do on top of that is just basically for me. I, I, like to, I do teach middle graders. Uh, I, I teach over in middle grade uh, at the academy. Um, and then uh, and I do a lot of community development work, but all that stuff sort of folds back in on my writing career, because I, uh, like next year I have a, a series of middle grade novels, that, uh, middle grade detective novels that come out next year. So, cool. so it all goes back on itself. Rob, are you a full-time writer or are you? I am a full-time writer as of about three weeks ago. So it's really right. exciting. Tell us how that happened. Uh, well, I've been uh, working as a financial consultant for a little over a decade um, and had made some hay when the sun was shining um, to set myself up to be able to write. And my wife uh, also works full-time and we have a three-year-old. Uh, and so it's, it's a great excuse. I'm writing all day. Goodness, though, I'm, I'm stay-at-home dad. I'm very, very focused on... I would never just put on Barney and, and turn and, and work on my book. <laughs> that would be terrible. Thing. I think that's what helped me is waiting until my kids were older. Um, with my son, my youngest was a senior when I started writing. I don't know how you have time to write with a three-year-old. So it, for me, the tremendous um, advantage was I was an empty nest. So that gave me a lot more time. Good. He's in a two and a half hour class every day, which makes it very easy to set a routine. Because by God, from the moment he's in the class to the time I'm done, the clock is on. Let's, let's yep. get over it, Kim. Can I interrupt for just a minute to say that that's how I started? Because I was a stay at home dad with the kids, and when I would drop them off at, a, at what's been called Mother's Morning Out class, got into this back in 92. Um, there were really stay at home dads. It was Mother's Morning Out class, but I dropped the kids off and I'd have two hours. And two days a week, and I would go home and I wrote the first draft in in 18 months, working just basically two hours, a couple of days a week. <laughs> so anyway, I, 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 I'm, I'm with you. I'm with you. All right. That's great. Your schedule is set. You can't possibly. And, and you have to be so disciplined about finding the time and using it wisely. Mm -hmm. the, the best thing you can do in your writing is turn off the internet. That is the biggest time suck that exists in the world. Because it's like, well, I wrote five words. What's on Facebook now? <laughs> I wrote 10 words. I better tweet about this. No, 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 no. Just, 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 just. <laughs> you check yourself. you research. This isn't just for yeah. online. Yeah, I'm doing research. Yeah. <laughs> no. Yeah. All right. Um, so let's talk about word count. Because you said write five words and then you go to, then you, you know, you're on the internet. And we don't want to do that. Um, do you guys do you guys have daily word counts that you try and hit while you're working, or how, how do you how do you structure writing? For me, it's just to make sure that when I start, there's something productive going on, and I'm like you, I do about a two and a half hour stretch. I was very lucky; I've been able to, to work part time, and I went and teach three classes, and then I can leave, so it worked out very well. Um, but from the time I get home around noon, 
I'll eat lunch from 12.30 until, you know, 2.30, 3 o'clock. I write. Internet goes off and I write. But I don't do counts as much as maybe it's I want to finish this chapter today or I want to finish that chapter and get five pages in on the next one. But you have to self-motivate. If you don't, you're just, it's, it's too easy to get distracted. So that, that time thing is a big thing for me, too, is, is putting aside enough time to write. Oh, how about you? Uh, if I'm drafting, then it's uh, if I'm middle grade, uh, it's 500 words because middle grade is a little denser. Uh, if I'm an adult, then it's a thousand words minimum, and well, 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 comfortable going about that when, when it's available. Uh, but I do most of my writing in the morning, about 5 a.m. I take a walk uh, before anybody else is awake, and then it's my hour walk, and I'm thinking of what's going to happen with the story, so that when uh, get everybody out of the house, get everybody breakfast. Son's got, got my two and a half hour window, then it's go time. I know exactly what's going on the written page because I've already worked it out. It's just a matter of getting those words on paper. Yeah, I don't do what counts. You don't? Nope. Okay. Uh, uh, I guess the way I do it, uh, you know, I'm about three, so about, I usually write about three hours a day, typically. Um, and I'll fit them in wherever I fit them in. Um, but I don't track the words out. Because I, I see that as kind of like an artificial pressure on me, you know. Because I have a lot of friends who are like, oh, I did 5,000 words today. And I got some people who are like, hey, I did 15,000 words today, you know, that kind of stuff. And I'm like, nah, I don't need, I don't need that pressure on me, and uh, and I don't want to even just put it out there. So what I do is I just, just I'm all about just being productive. You know, what did I get done today? All right, I just worked today. Did I make my three hours, or did I just get some words on the page, or did I just sit around and do nothing? I'm good with all of that as part of my writing process, even because even sitting around doing nothing, I mean, the work is getting done in my head. So as I'm sitting there having my family guy marathon this week, it is, you know, there's work going on in the back of my head. I know that eventually it's going to gel out. I'm going to go, okay, and I might have a burst of, you know, come Monday, I might have a burst of 10,000 words. It just... Can you guys write with distractions? Do you have to have music? Do you have to have TV on? Do you, you have to have dead silence? I usually have some some noise. I have to have some noise yeah, in the background. Um, usually I work right at the coffee shop because uh, I do have to leave the house. I can't write at home. Um, I, I go through the whole thing. I, I would get dressed, even if, even if I wasn't teaching. It's part of my routine. I would get up in the morning, 6.30 or so, get dressed, go down to a coffee shop because I'm at work. Um, and if I, because I found out but early on, if I stay at home, People treat me like I'm at home. Mm -hmm. I'm suddenly running errands for not just my yeah, wife, I think a lot of but all of my friends. Yeah, it's right. like you're home, therefore you must not be very right. busy. So there's that side. And then there's the self-distraction with, yeah. even if I shut off the internet, ooh, that's a stack of dishes that need to be done. Before I can concentrate to be in my muse, and then my muse is going to visit me, let me get the dishes, and let me do the laundry, and I could probably vacuum while I'm at it. So my wife loved it when I worked at home. Because <laughs> she knew I would process my stories that way. But yeah, I have to physically get out and, and have some noise around me of some sort. Not just to hear real voices and real conversations and let that sort of come okay, in. I'm going to give the alternate view to his because I have to have word counts. I, you know, when my publisher says I have a deadline and, and I know I have to have an 80,000 word novel and I have just so much time, I have to do word counts. And I, and I know I'm going to have to go back and do revisions, but I've got to, in, in the, the hours that I have before I start work and then in the lunch hours, I have to hit certain targets. Um, even if it's crap, I still have to hit targets. Because it's never, it's never as bad as you think. 
um, it, it, there's always something that's in there that you can that salvageable. You can salva that's salvageable, and sometimes, sometimes you have to you have to write for a half an hour just to get the juices going and to get through that. Um, but I have to have word counts. Okay, so if we're if we're doing word counts, are you guys plotters or pantsers? Because I think that makes a huge difference too. Yeah, and, do you guys do you guys know plotters, pantsers? Okay, a, a plotter is somebody who. Who uh, knows chapter by chapter, or, or has an outline that you follow? Okay, a pantser is somebody who Plotter will just fly the seat of their pants. They don't know what's going to happen. Okay, so what do we have here? Plotter, pantser. Well, you hear that a lot. Of yeah. uh, somewhere in between. I, I I do enough of an outline. Right, so, so I have I have four. You, I have you four do novels. an outline, yeah. right? Well, You're a plotter. I I have four novels due in the next year. There you go. Um, and so, and, and everybody's always like, well, turn in that line. I'm like, yeah, that's not going to happen. I can give you probably the first, what's going to happen in the first half or first quarter of the story, because I, I outline enough to get me started. Okay. And then after that, I kind of go where, uh, I, I go until I stop. Until they, where they take you. Right. And then when I stop, I'm like, okay, the novel's not done yet. Let me now do another outline to see where I'm going to go from here. So yeah. I always do enough just to get me started. I hate writing a proposal because you're supposed to come up with a five-page synopsis of what the story is, what the major motivations are, and the, and the overall ending. And I always tell my editor, if they ask for a synopsis before I wrote the book, if it actually resembles the book when the book is done, it's just complete coincidence because I am a pantser hands down. I go where they take me. Plotter, pantser, uh, loosely plotter, so I will do basically a crochet list by the end of this book. I have to do this. I don't usually know the ending or the goal that I'm working toward, but I let the characters talk me out of it. I'll have people that are slated to die and survive, and other folks that I thought were going to make it. It just didn't work out. Yeah, just gotta go, they gotta go. Yeah. Plotter, um, I've done both, and the the last book that Liz and I did, the Murder at the Mail Review, I was trying to be a dancer. And it was the most agonizing thing, and and I turned in a really horrible first draft because it was due, and I had to turn something in, and so I turned in this really awful draft, and I kept telling my editor, "I'll fix it, I'll fix it, I'll fix it," and I did, but I. I, I think will never I think do that again. I will outline. You just are what you are. I, and I think I just don't think you can get away from it. Yeah. I just think it's the, it's do, the way you do are. Do you think that's a question? Genre? What? Do you think it's because of genre? Do I think it's because of genre? Yeah, I, mean, I think okay, it you requires a lot you know, of thought. I you agree. have to have, I think, a little bit more knowledge of what's going on, maybe. Uh, yeah. Well, but but you want to surprise the reader too. I I, I took a class from Dean Wesley Smith, who is a a really prolific writer. Um, he's out on the West Coast. You guys, I don't know if you guys have heard of him. Um, and he he taught me to be sort of a pantser, but we were dealing with short stories. And, and, I, and I became convinced, and he kept saying, now this works for novels too. And his philosophy was that as writers, uh, we, we write to entertain ourselves. And so we don't really want to know what's going to happen in the end. And that so sounds like a pantser. And yeah. so he, he was teaching us this way, and I was successful in doing that with short stories. And I thought, oh, well, and we, the third novel was coming up, and I said, oh, well, we'll try this. Like I said, it was agonizing, but uh, well, and see, okay, for me, word counts are agonizing because okay. I get. Do you guys all know what NaNoWriMo is? It's coming up in November, right. so okay, sure. and I thought, okay, I'm going to do this. Where and you're not supposed to go back and edit the whole month. It's supposed to be just brand new writing. As a pantser, that is the most difficult thing to do because you edit as you go. So 
like, okay, you know, I'm in the fifth chapter. I decided I'm going to go this direction. I have to go back and correct chapters one to four to make sure I cover that. And when I just had to keep writing, I ended up with a mess. Mm -hmm. And it took me longer to fix that because it ended up being one of the novels I published. But it took me longer to fix the mistakes of not editing as I went along. So I think you're just born. And, and as you, you develop your craft, you're a pantser or you're a plotter. You know, I have to do this much plotting. I need to think about it for an hour before I go write it. I need a short outline. And you need the whole, whole outline. The whole <laughs> I think that's part of it is it, it's just a, a very organic process. And every writer is going to approach it differently. And it's what makes you comfortable that is most important. Yeah, does that answer your question? Yeah, I was just curious sure. because I know certain genres seem like they would structure themselves more to pantsers or plotters. I, I think that there are probably more mystery writers that outline I mean, or at least have, have a basic you, know, you need to know your red herrings, you need to know. Right. Yeah. And Jeffrey Beaver, and the guys are familiar with Jeffrey Beaver, um, Jeffrey, out, Jeffrey outlines 75%. I mean, I, let me back that up. When he finishes with his outline, 75% of the book is done. I mean, that's how that's how heavily he outlines. So we don't, you know. I'm always isn't jealous. That, isn't, that, isn't that remarkable? <laughs> that's not the but way I write. Yeah, so he has like, after he finishes his outline, he has like three months left because yeah. he just has to fill in the details. Well, it's almost like he's, he's bare bone writing the first draft in yeah. an outline form. So right. I just, to me, maybe it's, and it is maybe because I write romance. I. I have a lot more internal dialogue that goes on in the stories than plot. I mean, they're they're all plot driven, but there has to be so much that's that's internal that you've got to be feeling it as you write it, and you can't plan that. So maybe maybe it is a, a genre thing. I've got one novel I wrote a very detailed outline for every chapter broken down, and to this day I do not have the novel, but I have the outline. <laughs> the outline is just bang up. So there was no no mystery left, nothing for me to want to get I have heard that before from pantsers, that if they if they do a synopsis, if they do too much of an outline, they feel like the story's already been told, so why bother writing it? And maybe that's kind of the way I am too. And plus, I mean, I'm romance. We know it's going to be a happily ever after. It's just the fun of getting there that's, that's for me, why I enjoy writing it so much. Yeah, when, I, when I do have to do full outlines, it's usually because like, the publisher said, hey, what are you going to write? You know, because they're, they're talking, they like that whatever idea I pitch, and they want to see what it might look like, you know, as the story unfolds, so, you know, I, I would write a detailed outline, send it to them, and the only way I would overcome the whole, well, now the story's kind of written. It's like, yeah, but I don't like to get paid. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, yeah, I could probably force myself. Right. I just don't want it. It's just, it's an organic process. So at this point, do you guys have any questions for us? Because we can take this, we can keep going in different directions and stuff, but we, we, want, to, we want to make sure that you guys We want to focus here. that on what Yeah, we want to make sure that you guys leave here with the tools that you need. Yes, ma'am. Is it harder to take words out of your novel or to add more words to the novel? Is that the question? Okay. And, and Sandy and I had a little discussion about this earlier. Um, but, but maybe we should let somebody else start first. Either of you want to start? I would much rather cut words out. Okay. I, I, oh, sorry. I would much rather cut words out. I find it a lot easier to do that. And, uh, and like I said, when I had to do the revisions, I had to add 30,000 words. That was painful, trying to weave in, you know, kind of like another storyline, trying to weave in characters, and, you know, I'd rather just sit there and, like, I can lose words all the time. Because even, even if I cut words, like, if I had to cut 30,000 words out of the story, much easier. And chances are, I'm going to reuse those 30,000 words anyway. 
So I'll find something to do with them. Yeah. I think they're both difficult. Typically, I overwrite. I love your shirt, by the way. That's a great Spider-Man shirt. Um, but typically, I've got more material than could possibly fit my book anyway, and I've got to cut about 30 to 40% of it, just as a matter of course. And then even after I cut that, I'll still find things I want to add. Romance-wise, I'm good with either. I mean, I you'd be amazed cutting if there if it's a word count thing, which is very rare with eBooks. That's one thing you don't get very often because it used to be the size of the book was based on you know per word count, and that that was a cost-driven thing. So you don't hear that as often as you used to. It's almost always add instead of cut, unless it's something like unnecessary dialogue tags. Um, but honestly, I have no problem with either because. Where romance is concerned, if they're asking for more word count, a lot of times it's that internal process again. It's like I can go in and explore their emotions a little more. I can add a little of this. Um, they want a new chapter where he meets, you know, the um, the heroine's daughter. Okay, fine. I can come up with some scenario in an ice cream shop, and they can. So I'm cutting for me is sometimes maybe a little more difficult, but you can't be married to the words. And you just you can't be married to the words because there's going to be an editor that's going to go, I don't like this. And if you start fighting, you're done. So you've got to make yourself comfortable with both. I, I would agree with her that, uh, that you can't get married to the words. You, you, you have to realize that what you've written is not holy and, and it can't yeah, be believed. That's a good way to put it. Um, I, uh, I find it easier to add than to cut um, only because I usually put things in for a reason. And so if I have to cut them out, it's like, oh, to, you know, now, now how am I going to get that idea across? Um, for me, the, the additions, uh, for instance, in the, in the new book that Liz and I just did, The Murder of the Male Review, um, we try to have, we try to have at least two laugh out loud scenes in the books. Um, we try to have one about one third of the way through, and we try to have another one about two thirds of the way through, just as a way of entertaining our audiences. And we didn't really have a good, a good laugh out loud scene for the, for the uh, murder of the male review. We had actually had one at the very beginning, and then we had, we didn't have one then until like toward the end. And so we had to think of, of how to do this. And so we took the ladies to the, to the American Legion bingo, and we had a lot of things going on at the American Legion bingo, including the would-be stripper that that was pursuing one of the one of the older women. Um, and, and it was it was a lot of fun, but to me the, to me though there's generally a specific reason why you need to add more words. Well, so it's adding, like a little mini story. So for me that yeah it's, yeah and, it's and easier. adding stretches your creativity. If nothing else, I mean it will stretch your your creative wings like crazy because you've already got a whole story. The editor's coming back with, well, I want this added in. You'll find out just how good you are at scrambling. Yeah. That's when you find out if you can do a pants. Yeah. Well, actually. We loved the would-be male stripper so much that we changed the ending to fit so that we could bring him back in at the end. Um, it was, we just had to, we I just love fell in love with that. Secondary was great. You can be so yes. so do, do you have a, I'm sorry, do you have a specific like, word count for when you know you need that laugh out loud scene that it has to take place within this certain time? No, I, well, I mean, we, do, we haven't, like, Define. I mean, we don't define it and say, okay, you know, what, chapter three, six. yeah, chapter six, it's got to be there. But you know, we generally know it needs to be between chapter six and ten or whatever. And so we kind of let that, you know, as we write the outline, we kind of let that organically come out. But but it, it's just 
for us, it's, I know it sounds formulaic, and I hate to, I hate to be that. But all genre fiction is formulaic. But yeah, it is. It, is it, it has to be, by nature. Yeah. And, and for us, the humor is such a big part of, of the women's lives and, and what they do. And so, you know, for us, it, it's just a really important thing. So. Okay, yes, ma'am. Um, I'm interested to see what you all have to say, because it sounds like you have some standalone and also some series books. And when you have to pick your battles with your editor about this character is essential to whatever is going to happen in the future, they say, no, take it out. Like, what, what kind of battles have you had to go through individually to keep working? I may have been lucky. I've never had anybody tell me I had to yank a character before. So maybe I've just been extraordinarily lucky. Um, I've had, okay, well, here, here would be the type of battle that you get, and, and do pick them very carefully. Your editor is your editor, and you have to remember there's, there's a symbiotic relationship there, but they're still your editor. But um, in the, the series that just came out, this is the first book that came out um, in a trilogy, and because it's set in Nashville, she wanted music in all of them, and in the third book, he wasn't musical at all. He's a former quarterback, she's a nurse, it's like, who's musical? She goes, could you please write in something musical? So um, that's probably the hardest thing I had to do was find a way to make this fumbling, you know, huge six-six quarterback want to pick up a guitar and want to play it. So you know, they will they will throw things at you. You have to to really think about and and try to get it woven into what you've already planned. Um, but I haven't had to cut anybody. Have you guys had to do cuts? I haven't had to cut. Um, I have a friend who had to cut and. Watching her do that was a nightmare. In fact, it made me say, I don't want to work with that editor. Is what ended up happening, because the editor, and some of the, some of the changes seemed fairly arbitrary. Like they wanted to switch the gender of a character, a race of a character, um, and they ended up making her rewrite the entire last third of her novel based off of that. Uh-oh. Uh, and I was like, yeah, I'm gonna be sitting over there. <laughs> um, now, I did have had, uh, okay, so I just turned in my, Earlier this year, I turned in my uh, uh, Little Red Detective novel. Earlier in the summer, I got the notes back for from the editor. And uh, this is over at like, Harvard Island, so I, w I wasn't going to pick any archers. Like, <laughs> um, but she sent back the seven pages, seven pages of edit notes. And I'm like, oh, OK, this is going to be painful. But, and it actually wasn't too bad. It was a lot of, a lot of, a lot of really good suggestions. So, and, and you can tell, I mean, I was pretty early into the edit letter where I was like, no, these are all really good ideas. And so I'm gonna. So I knew I was in good hands. They, they come when it seems to me the larger the publisher, the longer the edit notes. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of times they just say a lot but don't need a lot of change. And after a while, you get kind of used to that. It's like here's ten pages, and you end up making you know eight tweaks in the book. So. Well, the, the, now the big tweak was she actually wanted me to add uh, a baby sister to my to uh, for, yeah. for the protagonist, and I was like, oh, that's. I wonder how I'm going to do that. Again, back to the stretch of the creativity. I was like, but then by the time I was done doing that, I was just like, that was a really good note. And that really worked out well by the end. So, so yeah, so. What's the name of the Celebrate Detective book? And where can we make a good purchasing it? It's called The Usual Suspects. And uh, basically, anytime anything goes wrong in the school, they pretty much round up the usual group of guys who, that we know one of you did it. <laughs> who, who is it? Um, and so the, the main guy is, uh, uh, his name's Thelonious, and and, uh, and and he, well, good little story there. But it'll be available starting next 
fall. I just turned in I just turned in all the revisions like a couple uh, a couple weeks ago. So next fall, book one, Usual Suspects. Sweet. I hear my formally invited to appear on the blog. <laughs> 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 gotcha. So Bob, you haven't answered the question yet. You had the kind of character. Um, that is, I just came from the self-publishing class, so I'm uh, very big on, on indie author, and the main reason was I had a literary agent and editor both uh, kind of getting up on me for my middle grade detective book, which is about a biracial character, and they weren't comfortable with a biracial character being the primary star in a book by a white guy. Uh, and my take on that was, well, if I can raise a biracial son, I can write a book about him. <laughs> so we're, we're, we're done here. <laughs> so for me, that was, that, that, that was the end. That, that was my line in the sand. Couldn't go any further than that. Well, and there's always other editors, and there's always other publishers. Okay, great question. Yeah. Any other questions? Yes, sir. Uh, especially on the, on the subject of self-publishing. Um, mm -hmm. I've, I, I do like a lot of memoir writing and some creative nonfiction. And I've been writing here and they're trying to put my stuff out there. And I got a good friend of mine who's also does a lot of short stories. And basically he said, well, because of the way the business is set up nowadays, it's just you're better off uh, doing the self-publishing, but I also know of like the, you know, I mean, probably other writers, the pitfalls of that. Um, is there a way to be able to navigate through to be able to get more of your independent work out there without it, the quality, say, suffering as far as like, you know, trying to find a person who knows you well enough and will as a good editor, so to speak, but not trying to change it for like you know, having that problem you had with ganging up. Okay, the, the question is, um, I guess it's it's really um, publisher versus self-publishing. And and, and if you self-publish out, how do you make sure the quality is right? Is good. Yeah, I'm a hybrid. I've got um, ten books that were published by Harlequin. Um, Hachette, Grand Central, and then I have 10 that I published on my own. And um, as far as quality, critique partners, critique partners, critique partners, or hire a good editor because there are some out there and they are really starting to take off with their own um, businesses and they will be able to, but you, you never want to put anything out that is unedited ever, ever, because once it's out there, it's, it's forever. So you want to polish it the best you can. I am very lucky my critique partners are both published authors. So we just pass stuff around and we are as honest and I mean sometimes the point of I'm not talking to her now. So <laughs> you you've gotta have friends that are willing That's to crazy. do that. So I just had the best critique note. I, I, I was actually meeting with my writer's group before before this event as I turned in a short story and this lady looks at me and is like, This story is on the verge of making sense. Oh good. <laughs> <laughs> trust them there, they're honest. Right. Yeah. What about you, right? To answer your question, I think that whether you traditionally publish, uh, I don't like the term self-publish so much as I like indie publish, indie, like because even when you're doing, you're not doing everything. If you've never professionally right. designed a cover before, don't start with your book. Right. Get somebody to do that. Uh, get Hire a professional editor. I've got a couple that I use, and then I've got my hardcore critique group that I don't leave home without. So you've got to cultivate, basically you're building everything you have with a traditional publisher, you're just building it within your own uh, space and you're the head of the ship. And take my class on self-publishing, November 18th at the Ryerson. Yeah, <laughs> and, and I'm gonna universally agree with them. Um, we, I'm a member of, of a writer, what we call the Indiana Writers Workshop. We've been together since, well, the workshop 
has been together since 1989. I started in 1995 with them. And it's just a great group of people, and, and they're all published. And uh, they, they, I mean, they make my books so much better. In You've fact, got a network. Yeah. You've got the, the way to find these things, to find your critique partners, to find your editors is networking. Yeah, the, the first series, the first series that I had, um, the editors that I had always remarked how clean the books were. Mm -hmm. they, they said, this, this is just incredibly clean. I'd and, love to hear that. Yeah. yeah. So. Makes, makes a big difference, but yeah, you, you got to. Yes, ma'am. Um, would you talk about your personal process for developing your own personal voice and confidence in that for your audience and versus trying to, you know, fit yourself into a mold that you think you need to be or you think you need to write like this other style? Okay, uh, the question was to talk about our, our personal, uh, how we developed our personal style, I guess. And did we feel like we had to be pigeonholed in a certain area, and and how did we how did we navigate that? Who wants to take that first? That's the hardest thing to do as a, as a artist. Period. Is to develop your, your own voice. Uh, when I started writing, like in high school, I mean, uh, I, I wrote my voice was who I was reading at the time. I mean, I was heavily influenced by Edgar Allan Poe. Um, and then that would shift when I was like, suddenly I'm very influenced by Stephen King. And then you know. Uh, and then I moved from him, and all of a sudden all my stuff starts to sound like Neil Gaiman. Uh, and so it was that, that shift of, uh, you know, but that was me just learning what it meant to write. Uh, so right now, I'm just, at this phase, I'm just learning what it means to put words together, to create stories, that sort of thing. Uh, so when I submitted, uh, so, so this trilogy was published with Angry Robot. And Angry Robot had put out a call that said, hey, we're looking for uh, urban fantasies in the vein of Neil Gaiman. And I was just like, oh, well. I'm your guy. So, you know, I, I send them a novel, uh, and they were like, all right, yeah, we're not, we're not ever going to use that as our description ever again, because they said, because <laughs> I thought I was being Captain Original here. I'm like, well, I got this, this is a murder mystery. They're investigating the death of a goddess, blah, 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 blah. And they were just like, yeah, we got like five novels of people investigating the death of a god uh, in the vein of Neil Gaiman. They said, do you have anything, do, do you have anything that's more you? And I was like, well, they said, yeah, they said they, they like my writing style, but they, it's like, yeah, but this we can't be used. Uh, and I'm like, well, I do have a novel, um, but it's like, it's, it's the wire meets Excalibur. And that, that's how I pitched it. And they were like, if you can make that work, we will buy that novel. And, and, that, was when, and, and that was when I started giving serious consideration to what, what does it mean to have a Maurice Brown's novel? Uh, was it, uh, what, what does that look like in terms of the voice and, and, and who I am? And, and part of that is about figuring out who you are as a, as a writer and a person. And that's when I realized, you know, and, and the type of themes that would be prevalent in, in like one of my stories. So yeah, it's a, it's a difficult, difficult process, but it pays off because you want to be, when I teach a class, I say you want to have the, you want to be able to pick your story out of the lineup. Like I, I have several friends who I can always, who have such defined voices, I don't even need their name on the on the on the front of the book. Once I start reading it, I'm like, oh, Jeff wrote this. Oh, Nicole wrote this. That's when I know you, you they have defined voices. And voice is so ironic because it's so hard to define, but the moment you see it, you know exactly, exactly. what it is. Yeah. So my advice on, on developing your voice is just write and write and keep writing and it's going to come as just an organic, natural part of 
of your writing process over time. I can't even tell you what my voice is. My editors know what my voice is. My critique partners know what my voice is. I don't have a clue. I just write what I feel, and, and that's kind of, does that help any? Is that how you put words together? I, I don't know. It's, 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 just, it's so hard to define. It's, it's your way of telling a story. I mean, it's just how you tell it in your own words. And, and you put it next to other people, they would tell the same story in a different way. It does come from uh, reading a lot because yeah. you start, you're, you're like milk in the fridge, you take on the, the flavor of everything else. If you're reading other authors, then you're going to start to write a little bit like that. <laughs> but over time, through that curation of saying, okay, well, that's the type of story I like when I'm reading, so I, I would assume that my readers might enjoy that also by picking and choosing different strengths and weaknesses of authors you like you tend to put together your own package. That's a good one. And your voice is a stone. Before we take another question, I, I would just like to say that to one of the examples. Can you give an example of what the voice sounds like? Maybe that would help. Can you give an example? When, I, when I'm writing, um, the romance that I just finished, it, it's due on the 20th. It's with my agent right now. As I was writing that, I, I immediately, and maybe it's because I teach psychology, I put myself in their shoes, and I try to write the way they would, they would feel. So what comes out of me tends to be um, hearing a lot of my own internal dialogue, you know, how I would react if I were in her shoes. And so after a while, mine ends up being, you know, here's a stretch of dialogue, here's what she's thinking while they're saying that. Then here's some more dialogue, here's what he's thinking while this is going on. So I, I tend to get a dual third person going in my voice. But a lot of times, it's like I, I abhor adjectives, um, I stay away from adverbs. It, my voice is very straightforward. You know, I won't say he walked slowly. I'll say he ambled. You know, I won't say um, she shouted loudly. I'll say she bellowed. So I tend to, mine tends to be very um, unpadded, I guess you would describe it. I, I, and, and the thing is, when I read other books, I see that stuff immediately. So maybe my voice comes through in stronger verbs and stronger, you know, adjectives because I hate it when things are over-described. So, does that help any? Okay. The thing that made a difference for me was um, I was taking a workshop <clears throat> in the Indiana Writers Center. Let's plug, let's plug that, yeah. those folks. Um, and I had a teacher who who read my stuff, and, and she was, because I was writing a novel, but then we would add in class assignments. And she said, You know, your in class assignments come alive. But all this novel stuff that you're writing doesn't. And she said, the difference that I see is that you're writing the stuff in the novel in third person, but all the stuff that you're writing in class is first person, and that's where it's really coming alive. And she said, I want you to go home and take the first four chapters of this novel, and I want you to write it in first person. And that was incredibly freeing, and that was when I really discovered what my voice was. Um, now I can, now I find I can write in third person. Um, in fact, the, the uh, bucket list novels are written in third person, but but it, it took it took a teacher to say you know here's what I here's what I see in you that helped me with, with my voice. So. Well, and I think you're, some people are more comfortable in third past tense. Some people are more comfortable in first person present tense. You just have to find what works. Yeah. Okay, so we got some people in there. Uh, okay, in the very very back. Yes, up there. With hand up. Thank you so much for having this workshop. I, my name is Rochelle, and I just published my first book. It's called Joy is in the Now Place, and it's a non-fictional. Thank you, thank Congratulations. you. Congratulations. Thank you for that one clap. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but That's amazing. 
I have, um, and it's about being present, not being anxious about the future or being, you know, uh, weighed down about the past. So, and, and it flowed for, this is my husband, Wayne. He comes with me many places, <laughs> 31 years in. But anyway, that's another book. Um, but I love the product as far as how the book came out. And I'm getting such positive feedback from people. My question is, I'm also a romantic person. And I just thought maybe since I started writing my first book is a nonfiction, if if I'm inspired, which I think I am, eventually to write a romantic novel of some sort. Yeah. Am I just typecast or should I just no. stay in that lane? No, in fact, um, my husband passed away a year ago of colon cancer. And one of the projects that I'm working very slowly on, because it's kind of like you know cutting your wrist and bleeding on the computer, I'm writing a book about what he went through. Wow. So I'm going to switch, and it's it's you know we have a love story, so my romance is going to be in there as well. But don't feel bad at all about switching. You know I I write you know contemporary romance because that's what my publisher wants me to write. When I write for myself, my indies are all you know historical romance, old west. Um, when Harlequin wanted me to write for Karina, I wrote urban fantasy. So there's nothing wrong with, if you feel romance in your soul, go for it. That's what genre is all about. So do I still keep my same name when I don't have to like- Why not? Name well, there, there are some arguments over author's names and stuff. Like um, my sci-fi is under S.J. James, but I, I, don't, I think we're past that. I think once eBooks really started to take off, okay. I don't think you have to be you know, Stephen King writing as Richard Bachman. You know, I, I don't see any problem with building on a name instead of, of diffusing your audience. Right. So I think only the big name authors have that trouble. Um, Sarah, okay, I'm going to drop a name. Sarah Prinsky is a friend of mine, and she um, has struggled with her publisher because all they want are the Iowa Sharston novels. They don't want some of the uh, one-offs that she does. Mm -hmm. And so I think the big name authors may have a, may have trouble with that, but us little peons, we have to do a lot of different things. I'm tired of you, because we have to be on. I've had that struggle. Um, yeah. And I've had it on two different fronts. So yeah. one, okay. sorry. Never <laughs> mind. <laughs> <laughs> well, for, for example, so like the, the so this is the Urban Family, I'm just going to tell us, full of kinds of tea right now. So, um, so the first book of my trilogy did really, really well, right? But then it ended what's called a death spiral, all right? I know, it sounds as great as it does. Um, and so like books two and three didn't do as well, right? And so this came out through a major publisher. And so now there's a track record on me, you know? Like, oh, well, you know, if I go to sell another urban fantasy, well, Reputation. We, have, we have your numbers here. Yeah. We know exactly what you can do as an urban fantasy author. Like, oh man, that's, that's too bad. Oh look, I'm now a steampunk author. <laughs> you have no numbers on me for that. And, and now I'm a middle grade detective writer. Because you have no, and so there's nothing wrong, and, and right now they're all like, could you actually just pick a genre and stick with it for a while, but. I'm a shapeshifter. No, I no, love writing no, what I, I'm, 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 yeah, no, I yeah, write what I, I want to write, and yeah. I don't see any reason to, to peg yourself into yeah. a genre. But the, 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 now, the flip side of that, though, was, and this was a, the longest contract negotiation of my life, it was with HarperCollins over the middle grade, because they said, well, if you're going to write middle grade detective novels under your name, you, we don't want you writing any other type of book under this name. And, and different then, publishers will approach it different ways. Right. Mine are like, publish, just get your name out there. Right. So it depends we, on your publisher. Oh, we, we, there, that was a battle I didn't choose to fight, and 
And so, yeah, so now I think they, I mean, it was ridiculous. They even had like non-compete. They, yeah, you know, they do. Yeah, it was, it was, it was a thing. But we had all that language. We Good. stripped it all out because I'm going to write what I'm going to write. Exactly. And I'm going to keep writing. So. I started uh, writing middle grade books you know, for children, and that's where all of my branding was. And then it was the horror novels that took off, and the people were mostly interested in my name. So I'm doing a relaunch of my first Banneker Bones, uh, my middle grade detective character. Uh, he's getting a sequel and possibly a third book here, and those books I'll, I'll write under Robert Kent, continuing for the whore, but those books will be under Rob Kent. So that, that a big stretch to find me, yeah. but a clear sign for parents that, hey, I'm not going to say the F-bomb at all in, in this one, whereas the other ones, eh, whatever. <laughs> the American Eagle. Is that Eagle? Yeah. The American Eagle t-shirt back there. Okay, the question is, for those who are struggling to find a publisher or an editor, um, how do you feel about publishing on a website? Are you talking about a personal website? Uh, are you talking about Kindle and Notebook and... Yeah, like, uh, Wattpad or... Yeah. That's... That's why I, Andy Weir published The Martian, and it worked out well for him. Yeah, it worked out very well. <laughs> I would still just give you the same warning to be careful whatever you put out there that it's the best that you can do. And, and don't put it out hoping to get critiques from other people, because once that reputation is established. So um, I would recommend, though, more along the lines, if you want any indie pu published to do um, digital, you know, draft to digital, smash words, mm -hmm. those might be better ways to go where you have a little, you have control over where it's sold, um, but they also take care of your distribution. It, it saves you a lot of headaches of formatting and and stuff like that, because it's not to say, here, download my PDF. They may have an e-reader, they may have you know, a Kindle, they may have, and so if you go through draft to digital or Smashwords, I use Smashwords for all my indies, um, except for Kindle, which I publish directly on Kindle, on KDP. So um, they will just help you with a lot of the headaches. And uh, as far as meeting you know, editors and publishers like that, the, the most important convention I do uh, every year is Gen Con, of all places. Yeah, you go where your readers are. Well, and it's not just that. Uh, Gen Con, I mean, like, almost every major book deal I've gotten is somewhere at Gen Somebody Con. Somebody at Gen Con. Yeah, uh, because editors go to Gen Con. Yeah. Publishers go to Gen Con. There are like, I think there are like five publishers lined up to be at Gen Con next year. And in fact, they span, they come out, they go, Robot's gonna be there, Tor.com's gonna be there, Rosarium's gonna be there, Apex Books is gonna be there. Uh, so publishers are at Gen Con, so and agents now are going to Gen Con. Well, and see, we have Romance Writers of America that has a big annual convention mm -hmm. every year. I've met, I made a lot of book deals there before yeah. as well. You've got to go where they are if you're looking for them. And, and well, my thing is, Gen Con is, is in our backyard, and like three yeah. years, I didn't even go. I was just like, well, it's a gaming convention, why would I go? But then someone did point out, yeah, by the way, you do know the people who will be buying your stories. Well, heck, I did, I did one of these with uh, one of my critique partners because she writes sci-fi and I had the new sci-fi book out. We did this for Starbase Indie once. So we went to where there were science fiction fans and we talked about writing and publishing, indie publishing science fiction books. So um, just keep your ear to the ground and, and keep writing, get it polished the best you can. And if you can't find who you want to work with, then indie publish. So there are a lot of people like The Martian. You know, I have a friend that indie published at first and now is on the New York Times bestsellers list. So it, it happens. Yep.
But just like Marisa saying, however you publish, if you're on a blog, wherever you're at, once you create a, um, uh, a history for yourself, that's going to follow you on to whatever Everywhere your next you project go. is. Okay. Like hands all over the place. Yeah, I know. We, do. we haven't been on this side yet. And we've got, we got time. We'll get there. Yeah, we've, we've got, got plenty we've got of 35 time. minutes. Yeah. So. I want to kind of build on the, the name discussion. And I hear what you're saying about, you know, with different genres, it's fine. Um, but I, yeah, I want to get more into different age groups, like you were talking about. Because I've got right now coming out with a middle grade steampunk. I'm also working on, you know, a sexy adult contemporary. And so. How can I my camera right going. So yeah, how to how separate to keep those when I'm doing like school talks and visits over here. I'm a teacher. But I'm going to like Judd I if I were going to write something um, that was directed, you know, I, my stuff's all adult. It, it's obviously adult. If I were going to write something though that was that different, I'd take a pen name. I, I would have to. I actually went to my bosses when I was first going to get published and said, "Look, I would like to publish under my name." But if you don't want that, you don't want to have a teacher that, that writes romance because there was actually a romance writer that got fired in Ohio when her, when her students found out that she wrote romance. And my first response to that would be lawsuit, but because um, it's none of their business what I do. But no, my, my bosses have been horribly supportive, but it's because all of mine, even though it's urban fantasy versus contemporary, it's all adult. But if I were going to write something middle grade, like you guys write, or something, you know, for, for uh, 12 year old, it would not be my name because the parents should expect something a little different. So if you're writing hot and then you're writing cold, I think I would do separate some way or another. Unless you're me and you're just really, really vain. Yeah. <laughs> it's all going under one name. And, and But the school I work at, even though it's a private Christian school, but I'm like, yeah, you knew who you hired. <laughs> so, you know, so there's none, none of that. And, and like Aggie, for the previous session, I had to know where several of the students here. Because they know, well, because that's how I started writing Little Grade. Because they were like, well, Mr. Broaddus, can we read something you've written? I'm like, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so that's why I started. Well, and I always tell my grade. students the yeah. very first day when we're doing you know, rules and here's what I expect. Like, I mean, yes, I write. No, we're not talking about it. I said, if, you, if you're a writer, and you want to talk about the writing process, I would love that. I've mentored a lot of students along the way, yeah. but I don't want a book report. I don't want to know if you read that chapter. I just don't want to know. So, and I was joking you know, before, because E.L. James wrote Fifty Shades of Grey, I get a lot of kids go, oh, oh my god, you're that James? No. You write Fifty Shades of Grey? No. I said, guys, what I do see in here in a public school classroom, and I'm sorry, my books have uh, a plot, and they're grammatically correct. <laughs> 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 you're into that, Kevin. Kind of <laughs> there we go. All right. Uh, uh, here's something I do find useful just to get parents ahead of. All the horror novels have got warning on page one. There you go. Uh, which is idea. great because uh, people that are looking for horror stories, oh, what kind of book requires a warning? Go on. Sometimes that's a real good marketing tool. Uh -huh. like, I want that. I, I had somebody leave a um, review on Amazon, and we've been talking about like good editorial notes and stuff. I don't know if you guys are the same as me. You'll remember the worst reviews more than <laughs> the good reviews. But I had a lady that at the end of the, the story wrote this review about, oh my god, there was sex in this book. She should have warned me. <laughs> Okay, so well, what's funny about that review is there were 80 comments after going, you're reading romance, what did you expect? So I started adding on all my self-published on the, the 
the blurb, I would add something like, you know, contains sex scenes in adult language, because I cuss, who knew? And so I've had people go, that made me buy it. Okay, great, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> we're learning in it, we're fine. Less of a warning, more of a promise. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> 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 All right, let's go to somebody who hasn't uh, asked a question before. Sir, maybe. Back to the writing process. Do you edit and rewrite as you write, or do you? Oh, hell yeah. Uh, yeah. Should you rewrite and edit? I get a question. Let me repeat the question. Please, sorry. The question is: Do you edit as you go, or do you uh, write the whole thing and, and go back and edit? I Sandy has a very strong. And I have a very strong, and that's that. just because it's the way I write. I when I sit down to to write for the day, I will read the last chapter I wrote, and I will usually fine tune it, get it ready, and that drives me into what I'm doing next. And I catch typos, I catch, oh my God, he stood up twice in a row, that's not really a good thing to do. So, you know, I, I always edit as I go. So the last maybe chapter or two chapters I wrote, and then I'm off and running. And I am the polar opposite. <laughs> so I pretty much just go until the first draft is done, because um, I need to know what I'm working with. <laughs> you know, because I, I, I don't have the story all worked out yet. You know, I have the beginning of the outline, and I'm gone, and I'm like curious, how, how does this thing end? Um, and so I have to write until I get to the end, so I'm not, so once I've gotten that first draft, which, you know, in, in some ways, might as well just be the outline at that point, you know, I'm like, okay, now I know what the story looks like. So now I can go back, and I can start filling in the blanks a bit more, and make sure I'm, I'm building to where I'm, now that I know where I'm going, now I can actually build their intent with more intent in my second draft. I start every day by uh, rereading the previous day of editing, but not not in depth. I'll do a good polish because it gets me in the mindset and it gets me ready to work on new stuff. But I'm going to do nine more drafts before anybody beyond my immediate circle reads it. And so by the time well, I'm going to go back and anything I've written may need to change due to a lot of circumstances that come up later. So to spend a whole lot of time focusing and trying to get that ready to print that day is kind of counterproductive. With mystery, how do you handle that? Um, the, the first series that I wrote, I did a lot of going back and editing and going back and editing, and it took me years to get novels done that way. And so I, I learned from that and learned that I can't do that, um, that the perpetual editing just slows it down. So now I do the kind of thing that, that, that uh, Robin Sandy do, is I do a light editing to kind of, of what I've just done, sort of help me get back into the flow of the story and then I take off from there. Well, and I think part of it goes back to what you said about the process. For me, my process developed when I did have a straight job. And, you know, and I, and I only had so much time in the day to work. I had two 15-minute breaks at work, and that's when I could do my writing, mm -hmm. which I then talked to my manager, and like, by the way, I will be taking two half-hour breaks. And he's like, well, that's not how it goes. Like, or I can take up smoking. <laughs> um, so I had two half-hour breaks that I, that I had to get my writing done. So what would happen is, is, is the night before, that's when I'm doing the work of uh, what am I going to do the next day? You know, where, where are my characters? What, what am I going to do the next day? That way, when I come that half-hour mark, I can I pick up, I go, and you know, and it works for you. And, then, and that's where and that's what I'm saying. Yeah. That, that's strictly my method. Well, and I'll tell you this: there does come a point you just have to set it down and walk away. You can't edit it to death. I, I would still be editing my first book. And, and I'll tell you one other thing I will not do is go back and read my older books because I'll go, damn, damn, damn. You just want to change. It's like, oh my God, how many dialogue tags do I have in that? 
So there does come a point where you just have to say, okay, this is it, walk away. You, you gotta walk away. Well, that makes me sad. I love reading my earlier books. Oh, like, oh I know I'm gonna like this Oh, story. I, got, I, got, I got rights back to my very first series that got published. And I've been re-editing and re-releasing them with new covers because I had a very small publisher and they were the worst cover. And so, but I'm reading, I'm going, this is such a good story. It's a shame I couldn't write at the time. So I, there, there's so much better now. And so you're always going to evolve. But yeah, and you, it's any other skill. You've got to practice, practice, and you'll get to the point. You finally say, okay, this is good. I've got to let somebody else take a look at it. Okay, so let's see. Um, the lady way in the back in the corner. Yes, you haven't asked a question yet. Okay, thanks. Um, if you don't want to self publish, um, how do you go about finding a publisher? I mean, I know you mentioned Gen Con for your genre, um, meeting people that way. Um, if I have a historical novel, how do I go about finding a publisher? Go to www.littlegreatmanship.com. Got interviews with over 100 different literary agents. His website is really good. It is, it's very good. Um, there are a couple other places that, that you can start. Um, Publishers Marketplace. Um, if you want a place where writers are honest with you about editors and publishers, there's a place called Absolute Write, um, and you want their forms. It's, it's Absolute, A-B-S-O-L-U-T-E, Write, W-R-I-T-E, dot com, black, backslash, forums. And that's where you'll have people that talk, they're just basically message boards, but there's one place called Bewares and Background Checks, there are people that will talk about their agents or bad experiences they have with editors. Or they'll, they'll tattle, basically. Or they'll say, hey, I really like this person. I've been working with her for a long time. And they also have um, genre. They have a genre section. So they have romance. They have mystery. They have you know children's books. And it's just a real good place to connect with other authors. And I always do your homework. I'm on my third agent, and the first one I took because I'm like, oh my god, an agent wants me, yay. I didn't do any research into her, and she stalled my career for a year because she just wasn't any good at it. The second one sold me to Harlequin, but she didn't, she was getting ready to retire. And my third one I met at a, a writing conference, it was just serendipity, we shared a cab. I told her I want a whole medallion, I thought she was going to pee her pants. So she goes, oh no, no, what are you, what are you writing? And I've been with her now for six years, so. You've yeah. got to talk to other authors somehow, and that's the best way to, to connect online. So I have a handout that's up, up front. It's, it's more geared toward uh, genre writers. Um, it has like potential markets and stuff, but on the back it does have a list of resources that lists like writers beware and stuff like that on there, so it's easy to find. And uh, and yeah, yeah, that whole agent discussion. Yeah. And then thing. another thought is, who, you know, in your own mind, decide who you write like, and then go to the library, find out, you know, get those authors that you feel you write like, and then find out who are their agents, who are their publishers, and, and sort of go in that direction. Um, you know, you can query their agent by saying, I've always been a big fan of so-and-so, and she, you know, and, and, you know, and then that sort of can help open the door. We can talk about query letters, maybe, uh, if that's some, some way that you guys want to go, but, you know, you got to find a way to open the door to a publisher or an editor. And, well, and I think, like you said, if you just know who's publishing a person that you write like, the other thing is read all the acknowledgments in every book that's in your genre. They often thank their agents, they thank their editors, they thank, you know, their critique partners. And it's a real good way to get names and, and to find out, okay, they're publishing what I write. 
So I always find it ironic that they say they want something, bring me something nobody's ever written before. And then they're like, why don't we write like? <laughs> so, we want you know, original, but we want, but we want to, yeah. something new and original in the following genres. Yeah. <laughs> okay, let's see. Um, all right, so have we, I'm, I'm, no, no, okay, so we haven't asked, we haven't had to ask a question, so go ahead. Are there any anthologies out there? Yeah. Are you talking about joining in another group's yeah. anthologies? Well, I know for mysteries, I belong with Sisters in Crime. I'm a mystery sister. And, um, I love that. Yeah, anyway. Um, but our local chapter, the Speed City chapter, does anthologies quite a bit. And we, we encourage uh, our, our membership to submit, you know, for that. And, but we do go through an editing process. I mean, we will not, you know, just because you're a member, you know, it, it, needs, to, it needs to be really good. I've edited two of their anthologies. And uh, it, was, it, was, it was really good, but it was also hard because you know people and, and you know, and sometimes it's really tough. And it was written by your writing group? It was written by our writers. And I think that's, that's you just have to connect with other writers and find out what they're doing. I don't talk about it much. Um, I actually have 18 other books that I wrote under a pen name because they're all extremely not child-friendly. Um, and several of those are anthologies that I wrote with my critique partners and my author friends. So I connected with them through a, through a writing group, through a professional writing group. Have you guys ever done anthologies? Oh, I do. I do almost exclusively anthologies. Okay. Um, yeah. Oh, awesome! Are you in, in? Are you from Indiana? Yes. Do you go to Indiana RWA? I I was born years ago. Come talk to me after real quick and, uh, and I'll tell you, because we meet once a month and it's a real good way to connect with uh, romantic suspense writers. We also do YA, so, you know, Sisters in Crime, I'm sure have other genre right. authors. But the best way, if that's the genre, genre you write, is to connect with a, a professional group of others. And I would think Sisters in Crime would be a good one to connect yeah, with, too. And I, we, we talked a little bit earlier, we Sandy and I did, about the importance of, of organizations uh, to get involved in. If you're, you know, for me, Mr. Writers of America and Sisters in Crime are two babies. Um, and, and they've been great help in professional development, um, as well as just, you know, friends, people that, that do been doing the same thing that you do. And it's always good to be able to talk to those kind of people. How do you, and, uh, yeah, I'm a, uh, well, not right now, but I've been a member of uh, the Science Fiction Writers of America, um, HWA, which is the Horror Writers. Um, and then the thriller writers also, is it International IT? Yeah, yeah thriller writers also. Um, and then also there's a website called, there's one called Doer Trope and one called Graylands, and they're always listing what anthologies are open and available also. Yeah. Mr. Harris of America, the National does um, an anthology every year. And, um, it, and as a member, you're eligible to submit to that. Now the, the editor, the guest editor, will always select 10 up there, his or her friends, but then the other 10 are usually judged um, from that. And I, and I just judged a, an RS sign anthology, and it was a really interesting thing. 
but for middle grade readers, it comes out in November. And keep an eye on the genre publishers. I know Harlequin does anthologies several times a year. Mm -hmm. um, they, they'll pop, you know, it's like, oh, we're gonna do a um, cowboy anthology. And so they'll do, like you said, submit a bunch, and then the editor picks the stories that they like. So um, always follow the websites of the publishers of the genre that you write. That's very helpful. Yeah, yeah, because uh, Rosarium is, has an anthology or something right now. I think it closes in like November. Um, so and, yeah, you know, that's a. But I would just yeah, definitely for yeah. for art for romantic suspense, I would check Harlequin and I would check their EPUB Karina because they're always looking for romantic suspense anthologies. So follow the the genre websites. Okay, American Eagle back there. You, Can you say another you question? Thanks very much, Thank you. Oh, you're welcome. American Eagle back there. You, you've been raising your hand, and I've, I've tried not to ignore you, but I wanted to make sure everybody else had a chance to answer, ask questions. I wanted to know, how do you get away from the redundancy of writing first person? How do, you, how do you not start the first sentence, or every other sentence with I? That's how you develop your voice. Mm -hmm. That's where your voice comes from, is making yourself learn to say it in a different way. Because I've written a couple um, first persons, and it is so tempting, you know, I this, I that, I the other. And you've got to get away from that by um, developing your voice. You know, tell us instead of what you are going to do or what you're doing, what do you see? You know, you can, you can still write it in a, in a very descriptive voice in first person. You know, the sunset's still going to cast beautiful colors across the sky, and you don't have to say, I saw the sun cast beautiful colors across the sky. Read first person. Pick up a lot of first person books and see how they start their sentences. You know, go through with a highlighter and highlight every time they start the sentence with an I. And then notice that maybe it's every sixth sentence, every eighth sentence. Um, it's just a matter of, of reading what you want to write. And I would find first person books. Um, you know, uh, Hunger Games is first person. Um, you just find a, a different way to say it and, and, and explore your senses. That's, one of the ways to get away from it being just he said, she said, or, or he did, she did, is to, to be descriptive, set the scene. It's part of your book, it's part of your characterization, is what are they experiencing with their senses? Because what you put in there that they're experiencing, your reader will experience as well. You're changing from he said, she said, I said, but the process of creating a character, I typically try to find the, the thing about a character that unites me. Uh, with them, so like I, I'm not a teenager escaping the zombie apocalypse, but I was a teenager once, and I know that if zombies were chasing me, I would for sure want to get away. So we can, <laughs> we can start there, and then from there you start making things that are true. Okay, well I'm not 15, so if I were 15, what would be true of me? I'd probably be crazy about all of the girls that are still surviving so far. I'd still want to get my driver's license if uh, the normal life ever turns. And from first person to third person, that's the same process for even minor characters you're writing. You're looking for that. How do I have empathy with this as a fellow human being? Start there and then work in all the factors that have to be true for Bob. Yeah. Thank you. I, there was a, in the this has been a good writing exercise for me because my little bit detective novel, when I first turned it in, was third person past tense. That's what I write mostly. Yeah. yeah. The one I just turned in is first person present tense. <laughs> <laughs> and that's been a very good, that's proved to be a very good exercise in it terms is. of, of, it is. of learning excellent. what that means to, mm -hmm. to switch tenses. With, and I think each draft changed one of those. 
So I've gone through like four or five iterations of, because I couldn't figure out the best way to tell the story. And, uh, and I just like, past tense wasn't working. Third, tense, uh, third uh, person wasn't working. So you know, you start switching that out, and then all of a sudden it becomes a really good exercise in, mm -hmm. in examining the best and, and I think the biggest um, drawback of first person is you only have one pair of eyes. You know, when you write in third person, especially romance, it tends to be through two different characters' points of view. And with, when you write first person, because you're limited to one set of eyes, you really have to, to use those well. And you've got to get away from just, you know, I did this, I did that, into what is she experiencing? You know, what is going through her mind? That, that allows you, and, and then describing what you see other characters doing. That's a big part, because you're the only one that can tell the story, because you're the only one that sees what's going on. You know, that's one of the fun things about writing romances. I got two different POVs, and they are not seeing the same thing at the same time. So it's, that's what's fun about, for me, about third person. But I like, I, it helped me tremendously to write first person. It takes you outside of all the stuff that, that becomes formulaic mm -hmm. and learning to see it and say it in a different way. Yes. Um, my question's on chapter length. If, if there's any semi-hard rules or anything to question coming from, I sent a submission in and they said, send your first 5,000 words. So I went to my novel, went about 5,000 words and that ended up being my first chapter. Oh, no, no, no. Oh, that's, no, 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 no. that's a long chapter. Uh, the question is, uh, essentially, how long should the chapter be? Uh, this gentleman uh, had a publisher request the first 5,000 uh, words and, and he hadn't even finished the first chapter with it. Um, the publishers kind of decide that. So know what the publisher looks for. Pick up a couple of their books and know, this one's about 2,500 per chapter. Well, I tend to scenes, really. The, I just want to say that the, the trend is towards shorter chapters. I mean, it's starting to get that way, isn't it? It is. But yeah. The trend is really towards shorter chapters. I picked up a, a Scott Pratt book the other day because my degree is actually in criminology, and I like. Yeah. Yeah, we're getting close. Um, but his were, you know, 500 word chapters. Mine are 2,500. So I go with what my, makes my publisher comfortable, but five is a little long. Yeah, so find out what that, that publisher publishes and just go through and, and, you know, how many pages, that's plus or minus 250 per page, and, and, and give it a good guess. And genre, to, you know, genre also affects that. Yeah, so, and it's yeah, important to end it at a good what, spot. You want to focus. And I want to see you can be perfect <laughs> over a couple chapters. I'm sorry, what Like James Patterson has, what, 50 pages, 50 words per chapter? Yeah. That's the way the, the Pratt novel is, too. And Well, and I read um, Stephen King's Dolores Claiborne, one chapter, whole damn book. Yep. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I can't think I have to have this continue, but we have got to take it up top, if that's okay. I would love to invite our authors that wonderful job today. Thank you so much for taking all your questions and for all your wonderful information. Our genre authors right here have so much.